Victor Frankl said, Everything can be taken from a man but one thing, the last of the human freedoms. To choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances, to choose one's way. This is Finding Human with Sue Jackson. Stay tuned for the next hour as Sue explores the human psyche, what makes us tick and how to live better, more fulfilled and more meaningful lives. Only on 101.9 High FM. Hello, this is Sue Jackson on High FM on the Finding Human program. And my guest today is Sean Waters. And we're going to be talking about has humanity lost its moral compass? Already I've had questions coming in about that. But let me introduce Sean first of all. We're on Zoom. Hi, Sean. It's nice to see you face your face. Sean is a practicing stress specialist. He's a practitioner and founder of the Stressless Clinic, and he does counseling, mentoring, lecturing in the new science of depression, uh, stre- uh, the new science of stress, anxiety, depression, trauma, and stress first aid, specializing in interventions and workshops for individuals, groups, and corporations to build resilience and to mitigate stress and burnout, and pre. TSD, which he'll explain to us later. He's the author of Techno Stressology, Technology and, it, and How It's Impacting on Our Lives. Um, Sean has also got some very exciting uh, new things on the go. He um, has been collaborating with the University of California, Los Angeles, and also with um, the uh, University Autonomo de Bajo, California, Mexico on some very exciting projects. Sean is also a friend of mine. He is a fellow logotherapist, and he is my go-to man whenever I want to find out anything about burnout, anything to do with the stress and, and technology, I go to Sean. Welcome, Sean. How are you today? Thank you so much, uh, Sue. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you for that awesome introduction. And uh, yes, thank you. Yo, we do have some exciting times together, don't we, in terms of, of sharing of information, uh, looking at a life from a lateral point of view. Yeah, and I think that's what's so exciting. Yes, thank you, Sue. And, you know, Emmanuel Kant said, two things awe me most, the starry sky above me and the moral law within me. Now, I found Absolutely. that quite fascinating <laughs> with our subject today. What do you think about our subject, Sean? Well, I think this is everybody asks the question. I think there's two questions today's subject relating to has humanity lost its moral compass, a supposition, and number two, existentialism. And I think those two actually go hand in hand uh, to where we are. And in the times of uncertainty of today, um, I think that's really the questions that everyone is asking about what has humanity lost its moral compass, where are we going, and, uh, and uncertainty, and call it the fear of uncertainty, and certainly related to everyone, related from children uh, to adults. Um, I think that's so very, very important. 
So, yes, it's looking looking forward to exploring the subject with you today, Sue. You know, there's, um, there's so much controversy over what a moral compass is. And one of the dictionaries said that a moral compass, compass de- de- defines as the person abil- a person's ability to judge what is right and wrong and act accordingly. Now, to me, there's actually a lot of fault in that because who's to know what's right and wrong? And it also defines a set of values that guides our decision-making, affects our actions, and defines us as a person. It's supposed to point us in the right direction and help us see what must be done for the greater good, even if it's not beneficial for us. And to me, that's one of the most important things about a moral compass, is what's done for the greater good, and it's not just for me. What is your thought on that? But I think, first of all, we need to understand that morals are generally taught by the society to the individual, and whereas values come from within. And I think that's so very important to understand. So the, the morals and behaviors or, or manner and character of a proper behavior is certainly what morals are about. However, the values are as they do change. And one's morals can change, but those values come from within. So how we taught and what happens is related to morals act as a motivation for leading a good life. Morals are related to one's religion, business, or politics. And morals are deep-seated, whereas values keep on changing with time and needs. So when you say we're born with it, do you believe that we're all born as pure individuals? And we get yes. changed as we go along by society, by friends, by mm. social media. Well, what is your? Do you agree with that? Absolutely. So it's all about nature and nurture, um, which is a, a subject which I think we all clearly understand. And based on that, it's, it's related to um, what happens in our childhood. And we use the terminology of ACEs, adverse ch- uh, childhood in, in experiences. And based on those experiences is what happens during our lives, and especially whilst we're growing up. So many things can influence us on our journey of, of moral and of values. And um, I always believe that values are so important to really look at our values from time to time and put them into a hierarchy of what actually stands for. And uh, I think we also need to look at our strengths related to that. So when we are growing up as well, we should always continue to look at our strengths as we're growing and build on those strengths. And those strengths are actually our passions. And that will actually be our guide going forward soon. I agree with you there, and there are so many uncertainties of life. And I think if we've got a good basis of family values, of something we can fall back on, they certainly do help us prepare for the the uncertainties of life. If we've been brought up in a home that teaches us that everything's negative, that... um, whatever we're going to be doing is not going to work anyway and you only have to listen to the news at the moment today on what happened in South African Parliament and what have you to to actually start to think negatively and yet those are all the uncertainties of life and we very definitely do always have a choice of what we want to do. Isaac Batsheva Singer said if you keep saying things are going to be bad you have a good chance of being a prophet. I see you nodding your head at that. Absolutely, Sue. You know, one one of the things that I think that we lose sight of is that as a family and as we are growing up, I think it's always important to actually have a formal family meeting from time to time. 
So the formal and family meetings, we sit around, non-judgmental, and actually sit and go through exactly what we're going through. And I think very often we're always not holding tight in terms of a family and talking to each other about what's going on, non-judgmental. So I think those are one of the things we can certainly do, and certainly with our children, be non-judgmental and sit and listen to what what they're going through, A, and perhaps how it can help. And, you know, there was one of the questions that actually came through was, uh, well, first of all, what is a moral compass? But we're going to get back to that shortly, the questions that came through. This is Finding Human with Sue Jackson, only on 101.9 High FM. We're going to be listening to a very short YouTube before... um, reintroduce Sean Waters. The the YouTube is on relativism. Is it wrong to judge other cultures? The A to Z of isms. Relativism. Moral relativism is the view that what's right in one culture may be wrong in another and that there's no way of judging between the two. It's all relative. There's no absolute truth of the matter. Different strokes for different folks and that's okay. Imagine a Martian landing on Earth. She would see that people behave differently in different places. They've got different moral rules, different social customs. What's right in one location is wrong in another. She might well conclude that there's no such thing as the right way to live or the right thing to do for everyone at all times. It's all a matter of cultural norms. So, in parts of Spain, bullfighting is seen as a spectacle, whereas in many other countries, it's considered outrageous cruelty. Try setting up a bullring in present-day London, for instance. If the visiting Martian could get an overview of the history of the world, she'd see that in ancient Rome, it was fine to have gladiatorial combat to the death and to own slaves, but that both practices would be widely frowned upon in present-day Rome, or Amsterdam, or elsewhere. Attending fights to the death and keeping slaves was acceptable for the Romans, but would be wrong in today's Europe. This sort of relativism has been popular with some anthropologists who've attempted to appreciate other cultures from within, understanding sets of interwoven practices as responses to particular circumstances and traditions. They recognise that morality is different in different cultures, and they often argue that it's ethnocentric to impose your own set of values elsewhere as if you know best. Such non-judgmental relativism might seem attractive, but think about Nazi Germany. There, it became socially acceptable and even required to treat Jews, homosexuals and gypsies as less than human. This became right there, both legally and morally. A relativist would simply have to bite the bullet and say that that was indeed right for Nazi Germany. That's what morality meant there and that a morality which treats everybody with equal respect is no better or worse than the Nazi way of doing things, just different. Unless you want to embrace that sort of repugnant conclusion, it's probably best to steer clear of moral relativism. Some people go further and say that everything is relative, even truth, that what is true at one time in one place isn't true for everyone everywhere, or that there's no such thing as objective truth, just the truth according to me. We see hints of this in politics today. There is a big problem with this sort of relativism, though. The theory of relativism itself would have to, on its own account, be relative. So the theory that truth is relative couldn't be absolutely true. This is Finding Human with Sue Jackson, only on 101.9 High FM. 
Hello, this is Sue Jackson on the Finding Human program on High FM, and I'm back with Sean Waters. And Sean is the founder of the Stressless Clinic. And um, you, he, you, you, uh, a while ago, Sean, you were on another radio program in an interview, and you were asked certain questions about techno stress and the problems that we face today. Now, I think those tie in very much with the moral relativism because what is normal for perhaps my child is not going to be normal for someone else's child or adult. Or So what is your view on that? Sue, so it's an, an interesting uh, concept and it, it's quite deep in terms of, of answering it. Um, however, yes, I think imposing... Um, Restrictions, I think, is probably what we're trying to explore here from what I gather. So first of all, let's put it into context and let's talk about the youth in terms of, of techno-stress, techno-stressology as such. And I think that based on that, we need to understand that we are in the, the digital age. And based on that, it is part of their lives and part of our lives, technology, and how amazing it is that we can explore so many things by uh, clicking onto Dr. Google and uh, looking at him and doing that, and then perhaps on social media. Um, and I think that during COVID, social media was very important in one way, but unfortunately had some adverse effects. So I think the problem with social media is that the parents don't understand what's actually happening with their children. They're giving too many restrictions in terms of what it is. And I've always said that the easiest way to understand your child and to impose instructions or as we can say, morals or values, is for you to actually work with your, your child, your adolescent, and to actually understand what interests them. What are they doing on the social media? Um, how are they exploring it? And I think that's the way of saying, well, that's great. However, why don't we tweak it here and add in a little bit there and do this and take an interest? And then you can say, well, I think you need to not use your, your mobile phone so much. I don't think you need to be on social media so much and just give it a break, and then you can impose. So it's all about negotiation at the end of the day and understanding that whatever you're holding in your hand can and will help you to a certain extent, but don't be afraid of it. So when we get to the old folk, the old folk want a standard phone that simply talks, and they can talk to, and they can simply uh, write an SMS, and, uh, and that's where it is. But, you know, Old folk, it's incredible to actually have it for them to have a smartphone. Mm. They'd be able to download so many things. They can get onto Facebook and see their families, can see pictures and whatever. But all of this is based on troubleshooting. And troubleshooting means things can go wrong. But it's okay. You can press the wrong button. You're not going to lose everything. So it's all that fear of not knowing what and be comfortable with it. So the more you use anything, it becomes a habit. And a habit becomes easy to use. So related to techno stress and where it is, yes, we get stressed by technology. But unfortunately, I think the problem now, Sue, is related to our subject today, is that we people get bogged down in terms of information overload. Mm. And I need to emphasize information overload in every single facet. And then everybody thinks that they are a, a doctor, psychologist, an ophthalmologist, whatever you want, an ologist you want to find, <laughs> is because of the information overload. Mm, mm. And I think that's where we need to define and put it into a box and say, this is what interests me. I need to see the news every day or every afternoon, uh, allocate five or ten minutes and put it down. And go away and then come in the afternoon and update yourself. Because things are not going to change 
all the time. So I think it's all that that own imposition of of a strategy of actually using what we call attention management as opposed to time management. What needs attention and what doesn't need attention. Mm-hmm. And you know, Sean, going back to that um, the moral compass of that, one of the questions that did come through was that their children. It was a, a youngish mother. Her children and the children's friends appear to be far more stressed than the adults in their lives. And the stress is because, as you say, the information overload, but also because of the morals that they are picking up, which don't um, coincide with the morals that they are being taught in the home. So there's a lot of confusion between the the different age groups now. So this was a a mother in her 40s who was questioning this about her child of 12. Absolutely. Uh, You know, it it comes to the fact that we must also understand um, that that we have a social brain. And uh, as soon as we are are children and uh, we are adolescents, um, and let's define that, that we talk about a child being up to the age of 18 years old as defined by who, and we also have, have an adolescent in there, is related to all of this is they are social beings. We've come through a, a time, a torrid time in terms of isolation. We can only use technology to hear and see each other. And unfortunately, you know, that's where it is. And that's why they are more stressed because they, are need, they do need to be social. They need to be outside as well as inside. They need to share and be with their friends. And yes, they definitely are far more stressed. And I think one of the areas that I'm very concerned about, about our children and our youth, is related to the fear of, of uncertainty. You know, if, if you, a, a youth a com- person comes to you and says to you, but where, what is the future for me? I don't know how to answer that. It's a very difficult one. And it's kind of, where are we going from here? What is happening? The world appears to be in turmoil. There appears to be a moral compass, a uh, moral compass um, disconnect. So I can understand the fear that they're going through, and also we must understand that the parent is also actually stressed because they are uncertain about their future. They're uncertain about their jobs. They are uncertain about whatever it's going to be. So they they don't actually understand that they're imposing an additional stress on their children related to adult kind of stuff. Mm, so that's mm. why the child is in that situation. So they're actually getting double stress out, if I can use a, mm. that terminology, is that mm. they're getting the parent stress, uh, which is imposed from them, uh, which they don't actually understand, and their own stress. So true. Now tell me a bit about your, the, you, the, you're collaborating with UCLA, and uh, just tell me a bit about the different things that you've actually got got on the go because it's all related to stress and you've been invited to be part of of the different um, universities. Tell me a bit about that. Thank you, Sue. For me, it, it, it's quite, a, it's humbling and it's honoring to be part and to collaborate with UC, UCLA Stress Lab. Professor George Slavich uh, is probably the stress guru of the world. And based on that, I got an invitation for him to be involved in the lab, uh, both to a uh, listen and hear what happens in the lab and the various experiments and the various projects, and b that I can actually uh, be in the lab meetings related to uh, the students, postgrads, etc. 
Um, one of the projects that is currently on the go at the moment um, is the uh, invention of a smartwatch that actually measures one's cortisol. Mm. So cortisol, as we know, is a stress hormone. And uh, this smartwatch has obviously taken a lot of collaboration from all various scientists you know, in, in and around UCLA, uh, especially with the engineering side. So those are one of the things that we're involved in. One of the other one is related to the, the stress test. Uh, which is called the life stress test. And mm -hmm. that is a, a measurement of, of stress to one's life and where one's life is. So yes, I am honored and privileged to be a part of, of, that, of that lab. And we continue to do good things. And we also look into some new projects um, as well. And I think and one of the projects I am going to share with you is a speech uh, recognition, mm -hmm. uh, speech voice recognition, where we would like to hear, like I, you and I are talking now, is are we stressed? What, what emotions are we going through? So we're currently busy exploring that at the moment. Thanks, Sue. Well, that's very exciting. But I just need to just stress here that if my voice is a little bit different, it's because I had to take an anti-histamine. An anti I've got a bit of sneezes from this dryness. Sorry, that's a But I can see, I can see your face, Sue. I can see your face. So you can't get around that one. Okay. <laughs> we've got a happy face. We've got a happy face. <laughs> you know, Art Linklater just reminded me of that thing. He said, things turn out best for the people who make the best of the way things turn out. <laughs> Did you Absolutely, get that? Yes. Yeah. If Absolutely one. If you'd like to SMS us, please do on 34519 or you can um Telegram us on 061-895-1019. Now, Sean, going back to different questions we had, somebody um, wanted to know about phantom phone syndrome. What is that? They must have heard your previous talk on radio, I think. Just explain what that is. Well, let's look at it at, at a blunt way. If, if, you're, if you have an amputation, and you lose your leg or, or limb of whatever it is, for a while afterwards, you actually believe that your leg is still there, it feels like it. So when you detached from your mobile phone and you happen to not have it in your pocket or in your handbag, you actually get the shivers. So you actually start believing that, that the phone is going to vibrate in your pocket or it's going to ring. Um, or if it is in your pocket, you're waiting for that vibration to feel it against your leg. And it's quite simple. That's what phantom syndrome is. So it's, it's a loss of not having your phone with you and expecting to have it with you. So it's simply in your handbag or in your pocket, probably in your pocket, and you're waiting for that next vibration to come. Or there's something I need to take it out. And you know when they take it out? is in the boardroom. And in the boardroom, everybody's climbing, uh, looking under the table because they're thinking that the vibrations then I need to look at the call. That's so true. I lost my phone the other day in my car. couldn't find it anywhere. Had to go in and ask um, um, somebody to phone me as I went back to my car so that I could hear where the vibration was coming from. Meanwhile, it was at the bottom of my bag. So <laughs> I think I lost my moral compass for a while there. But um, and then another question that came through was in a world that has been overtaken by the social media, how do we help ourselves and our children understand values? And what would you say are the main values? Well, what I alluded to earlier 
is relating to the fact of everyone becoming involved in what one is looking in at their phone. <clears throat> so when it comes to social media, actually understand what interests each other in later to the social media aspect so we don't get overload into it. Um, so yes, we have the, all the various platforms of, of Facebook, um, which we know is going through some ethical uh, questions at the moment. We know that TikTok, unfortunately, is not ethical in any way whatsoever because there's no privacy related to that. And as we know that Elon Musk, uh, Musk is trying to advocate um, technology AI in terms of ethics. So related to that, I think that one needs to become involved in the interest of each other and try and maybe share, you know, your, your whatever you're looking at uh, in terms of what the social media is about. So if there's a particular problem related to political or whatever else it is, uh, share it with each other. And perhaps you can even share posts with each other. So I think it's the sharing of information rather than taking it in and, and making decisions on your own. And that's really what it's about, is the sharing of that. And to try and be as authentic as possible uh, when you are sharing on social media. If you're not feeling okay, then you're not feeling okay. But sometimes people can't necessarily see you in terms of what you're showing or you don't want to show them. So I think that like Instagram, for example, is uh, very much a showcase. Then we have, you know, texting. And what about the good old-fashioned call? Hello, Sue, how are you? Mm. Oh, you called. Oh, okay, yes, you know. And I think that people have lost that, that uh, uh, individualism of, of just picking up the telephone and sharing. I mean, when you go to get a contract today, the voice part of it is so little because everybody's using data. Why not use the phone? Just say, hello, Sue, how are you? Nice to hear your voice. And maybe I can pick up some speech recognition of, of how your emotions are going. But I'm saying really use the phone. And, you know, I have to agree with that. But then one of the other questions was that um, what happens with children when their brains actually become lazy because of the tech technology? And we're going to get back to that in a moment. This is Finding Human with Sue Jackson, only on 101.9 High FM. Hello, this is Sue Jackson on High FM on the Finding Human program, and I'm back with Sean Waters, and we've got a very short YouTube by Rabbi Jonathan Sachs on what is morality and why is it important? Because we're interested in handing on our genes to the next generation, we are inclined to make sacrifices, to defend people who are genetically close to us which is why morality begins in the family. And that you'll find among pretty much all animals. The second one is called reciprocal altruism, which is a feature of all social animals. You see animals that hunt in a pack, for instance, primates, predators, what have you. And they will do favors for one another because they expect the others to do favors for themselves. They actually can only function in a team. And that is called reciprocal altruism, meaning that I will do something for you knowing that you will do something for me. The trouble with kin selection and reciprocal altruism is that they only work for fairly small groups, which is what human beings lived in, in the hunter-gatherer stage. But once you begin to get towns and cities, you begin to face a problem that no other animal faces, which is how to establish trust. 
between strangers. And at that point, you get the development of society-wide moral codes. Initially through religion, of course, now we are looking for some kind of secular way of doing the same thing. And that, of course, is the real problem we face today. As societies become much more secular, as we lose this sense of a common moral code binding all the members of society to one another, then we begin to lose all those habits of the heart and of the deed that make us come to other people's aid, that make us honest, that make us virtuous, all the kind of things that we need for societies to function. The stronger the sense of we are all in this together and therefore we must help one another, the stronger the society is. Lose that and society begins to disintegrate. When that happens, liberal democratic freedom is at risk. So that's why morality is important. This is Finding Human with Sue Jackson. Only on 101.9 High FM. Hello, this is Sue Jackson on the Finding Human program, and I'm back with Sean Waters. And we're talking about does um, humanity, has humanity lost its moral compass? Now, what Rabbi Lord Jonathan Sachs had to say there is that to recognize that we're all in this together. Now, when it comes, we were about to talk about lazy brain. And uh, the one question was that, you know, their, their children don't seem to be able to think for themselves anymore. And whatever the, they are being told on uh, social media, they're taking in and, and not even questioning it. So a lot of morals are being lost in that. What is your opinion on that, Sean? Well, <clears throat> a lazy brain can become an unlazy brain. <laughs> um, so I think one of the things that, that I think... Uh, we've forgotten is to write things down. Um, you know, I have uh, a little book next to me all the time and I write whatever I need to write in there to remind myself to do whatever. And I think that little journal, I don't like to really call it a journal, but the little book is uh, what uh, Da Vinci used all the time. He didn't have technology. And I think one of the ways to get around the lazy brain is to try and invite the brain to actually see and hear and write down what it is, and you'll actually remember that. So I think one of the things to do about life is to even take the, the little book and even uh, do some sketches or some drawings of something, which Da Vinci did. And I think those are one of the things that are so important to activate the lazy brain. Uh, when it comes to social media, when last did you see a person writing down what the, the other person felt, actually writing it down and reflecting on it and actually going through the process of that? So... The other thing is, you know, when you do a, a, a WhatsApp, you simply look for the person's name and you simply press the button. Why don't you for once actually try and memorize the number and uh, actually dial in the number? So I think those are one of, one of the easy things that can be done is to just revive the lazy brain from just accepting that that is the number of the person or double check. So when you go to WhatsApp and you want to send somebody a message, why don't you just go and look at the information and just look at the number? So that number is uh, something that you can just re reinvite or ignite the brain. So the lazy brain doesn't necessarily have to be lazy all the time. And as I say, to write things down, reflect is, is, is old-fashioned, 
the same way as we had we have ebooks. And if I think of uh, an ebook compared to a hard a, a paperback book, isn't it nice to read a paperback? Isn't it nice to smell the pages, to smell the print, all of those kind of things? It's it's so much better because you're feeling that your senses are coming in, and you will absorb more in terms of touching something where your senses come into being. And that's what happens with the lazy brain. The lazy brain is like you and I talking now. We can just see a screen. That's all we see. But we need to feel it. We need to touch it. We need to smell it. And all of these things of our senses is actually get clogged up. And that is a lazy brain of being clogged up with the senses. So how can we tie that in with has humanity lost its moral compass? Well, how Should can we, we tie discuss it in? the existential vacuum here, perhaps? Absolutely, sir. I know you're alluding to that, and I, I was coming to that now, the existential vacuum. An existential vacuum is simply about uncertainty of where are we. But, you know, we can do something about it. And by doing something about it is our attitude. And I always say oh, the three A's and the G. And that is accept, acknowledge, your attitude towards something, and be grateful. And those three A's are really the foundation of how we can do it. Accept that it's happened. Acknowledge that it's happened. But it's an attitude to get ourselves out of how we're going to do it. Are we going to just lie there and say, well, this too shall pass? Or are we actually get up and actually do something about it? And we do something about it, say, thank you. That was inspiring. Look for the opportunities. We all know that our weaknesses, but look at our strengths. And that's what I feel, Stu. Absolutely. I have to agree with, with, uh, with, with your three A's and your G. Um, you know, uh, the one of the other um, questions that comes up so often is social bu- bullying on social media. And that bullying, which is so often anonymous, um, is is soul destroying, and it it really shows a lack of morals. I think you're absolutely right, Sue. You know, cyberbullying is 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 really, really, really difficult to deal with. Unfortunately, it's not just cyberbullying. Unfortunately, we've also seen it physically. You know, uh, in in a number of, of of schools in South Africa, we've seen that happening. Um, and I think that's all about uh, being influenced by something. Um, and it always comes back to stress. I'm sorry, mm. but it all comes back to stresses, and and the stresses are are related to um, video games and and seeing that it's just it's okay to you know tap into a video game to see violence on a video game, and uh, you know th- there is a ban of of sex, which obviously is is appropriate, but there should also be a ban a ban in terms of a level of violence. I mean, you can turn on a movie, you can turn on anything, and uh, do we see a restriction on violence? No, we don't. And uh, I think that's one of the problems that society has lost its moral compass in that violence is becoming more and more acceptable. And, um, you know, the bullying is, rela- is actually that. It's, it's been violent against another human being because they don't align uh, with our morals. They don't align with our values. And I think that's, that's important, too. That's so important what you've just said. This is Finding Human with Sue Jackson, only on 101.9 High FM. This is Sue Jackson, and I'm back with Sean Waters. And um, Sean, you know, we were talking about the existential vacuum. And what we are going to be told uh, soon to, to actually wrap up, but... 
tell me about FOMO, because in a way, FO2 and FOMO also fall into that existential vacuum if you don't know what you're looking for. Yes, Sue, definitely. And I, I see that you you picked up on my terminologies um, I did. over the time that we spent again. FOMO, FOMO and fear are the biggest problems that we have. Fear of missing out is, is one of the biggest problems I think society has today. They don't want to miss out on anything. And uh, that's what I'm saying. The information overload for me is the biggest problem. So the fear of missing out is that information overload of really what do we need? It's the, the nothingness, the uselessness of things that we don't even want to be involved in. And uh, I think that's where the lazy brain comes in as well. Is it's nice to just, how can I say, chill out. Um, but it's, it's what is going to be meaningful to us and what is going to help us in terms of, of our lives and looking for the opportunities there as well. Mm-hmm. So the fear of missing out can be actually become a good thing in terms of missing out on the things that you love and you're passionate about and missing out and building on those and actually boxing them and putting them and moving forward with them, going to investigating them and to go and enjoy them. And those often are hobbies and those hobbies and passions actually become part of our lives and even create a business. Mm-hmm. So I think that's so important in terms of getting one out of that rut uh, in, in terms of that. And that's what I believe. So that's your FOMO. And funny enough, Confucius said, the man who asks a question is a fool a minute, for a minute. The man who does not ask is a fool for life. So you, I'll say that again. The man who asks a question is a fool for a minute. But the man who does not ask is a fool for life. And that was what Confucius said. Agreed, Sue. And my other mantra is why. We should always ask the question why. Even if it's right, even if it's wrong, or verification or clarification, we should never stop asking the question why. Because that's how we learn. That's our knowledge. Mm. Um, So I absolutely support that um, in terms of why. Why are we doing this? Why is this happening? Why, even if we know the answer, ask the question why. So go back to FO2, also one of your sayings. <laughs> fear of? Hmm? Fear of, Sue? You know it by now? Uh, just wait. <laughs> oh, my word, I've got an absolute blank. Don't p- pass it on to me, please. <laughs> all right. <laughs> all, all these, all, all these fear ofs is actually is we should ask the question why. So the fear of something is is it real or is it not? So false evidence appearing real is that it is oh, the, hang the on. Sure. Wait a minute. Yes. Photo is the fear of the unknown. Correct, and that's where I'm leading to. Okay. The fear of the unknown. <laughs> Thank goodness I had to uh, really. Get into my brain there. <laughs> and it's honestly, the, it's honestly the fear of something. And the fear of something is always intimidating. And I always say, is it real or isn't it? So we then have the real test of the R-E-A-L. And sometimes it might be real. So, you know, we might be stressed. We might not be stressed. But we always need to test it. And that's why we use the, the word why after the fear of something. Why are we fearful? Why are we fearing the unknown? Why are we doing that? So all of the fear of 
ends up with the why. And the, the two other word is, is it real or isn't it? And if it's real, investigate it. And that ties back with our, our uh, compass, you know, to actually investigate. What are we investigating in? What are our morals? What are our values? And do they fit in with society's values? And if not, why not? To go back to that why. And what, what is coming from within us that we can actually share with the world, with our family, with each other? And what can we let go of? And Rabbi Jonathan Sachs actually said, children deserve better than to be taught to hate. Those to, uh, children deserve better than to be taught to hate those with whom they must one day learn to live. And I'm being told to wrap up. And I think that's so important that we need to be able to all understand one another, learn to live with each other, and learn to live with ourselves too. Sean, could you please just give your details out? Yes, thank you. So my uh, email address is sean, S-E-A-N, at stresslessclinic, one word, dot co dot za. My mobile number, I'm on WhatsApp, is 083-783-2949. And I do have a website, www.stresslessclinic.co.za. And they can also find you on LinkedIn. Thank of course, yes. You. Thank you so much, Sean. I'm being told to wrap up. I always enjoy our time together on air. We we seem to go very. It seems to go very quickly, and we do get off our subject, but we do try and tie back into it again. So thank you so much, Sean. I will speak to you. I need to wrap up now. And they, uh, Craig is actually going to be ending with a with a song. I can't remember what the song was. But uh, thank you, Sean.